Welcome to episode 226 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. Are you ready? This is going to be a really fun episode because I actually took the podcast on the road. That's right. There's not much news going on in the pinball world. So what I did was I visited all of the major manufacturers of pinball and I opened the door and I listened in to what the mood is like at each of these pinball manufacturers. And I can't wait to play what I found when I went on that road trip. But before we get there, before we get there, there's a, there's a little bit of news in the pinball world that we're going to talk about. Number one has to be, has to be this incredible image of 50 Iron Maiden pinball machines in box on their way to the MGC Expo this weekend, right? The Midwest Gaming Classic. And I think Stern has just like displayed their dominance in one photo, right? It, it's, it's incredible. You have to see this photo. It's on George Gomez's Facebook page. It's on Keith Elwin's. It's just like a drop the mic, F all you other guys who keep thinking you're big players in the pinball industry. This is what it looks like. And what's incredible about this photo is all these games were made in like a week, right? A week. In one week, Stern has managed to make, and, and, and like it might not even have been a week, like a day or two, Stern has made more games in just a day or two than John Papadou could ever make, than Dutch Pinball could ever ship. Uh, in one week, they blown away what Highway Pinball is able to ever ship out to people. It's almost laughable. All the companies that came out and said they're going to compete with Stern, and I love it. It's just like, boom, 50 people are about to get their Iron Maidens. And I'm hearing today, too, that the Iron Maiden limited edition art package and the art package on the premiums, those things have been approved, okay? They have been finally approved. And I heard the band was just making little changes to the artwork, like one-inch size changes and that's why Stern uh, didn't have approval to share with you the premium and LE packages of the game yet. Now here's the thing, I'm hearing like lots of wows and you won't believe what you see and it's completely epic and I think we're going to see probably what could be the nicest LE package ever from Stern Pinball. I'm hearing the back glass has got this really incredible mirrored effect and I'm hearing that the cabinet artwork is kind of like the metallic glossiness but also with the matte finish so for any of you out there who's ever seen batman super le uh the cabinet artwork is all like the glossiness but the back box artwork is that combination of like matte finish with um the shiny metallic finish and i think it's kind of going to be that i don't think it's going to be full glossiness metallic the way batman cabinet is uh but it's still super cool because it gives like some nice depth and contrast in materials and i heard this this is what i heard when i and again i'm not going to reveal my sources i heard the iron maiden ellie back glass is the nicest back glass Stern has ever made, and it's going to blow people away. I did hear something else that there's the, the red armor is really nice. I also heard there's a lot of green in the artwork of the game. So at first, you know, are we going to hear comments that it looks a little bit like a Christmas tree or a Christmas game? Um, but all I can say is this. If you are in on an Iron Maiden LE, 
uh, I think you're going to be blown away by what you get because for for nine thousand dollars. I think Stern is throwing in everything and the kitchen sink into this package. And I think we should see it any day now. So that's really exciting. Speaking of manufacturing, right? We saw the video of Stern. We saw everyone in the factory. We saw 50 boxes and games. And then we go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum with Highway Pinball. If you go on the Highway Pinball uh, pin side page, there is now an image of alien pinball machines in the factory and do we see 50 do we see 100 do we see a huge line of workers working hard to get these games made no we see the complete opposite we see seven games just sitting there nobody in the factory whatsoever nobody on a line nobody working hard and it's pretty clear it's pretty clear that highway pinball today today in April what 12th of 2018 is pretty much the same highway pinball company that it was when Andrew left the company a year or two ago was a year ago it's just this big factory with no activity it's a complete sort of wannabe big pinball manufacturing company and I think everyone's done a 180 on Stern again and I think People need to stop with these threads like it's a dark day for Stern. Remember that? Remember at Expo, it's like Stern's darkest hour. Like how will they ever recover? Meanwhile, Stern is just sending out hundreds of games around the world every week and everyone else is filing for bankruptcy. Uh, But let's call it a dark day for Stern. And I think Iron Maiden has shown people that, you know, Stern is a giant. And as much as they might have hits and misses, they always get people their game. They always give people multiple options on what pinball machines to buy. And now they are really putting a lot into their product. And I would hate to be a competitor of Stern because the volume at which they can crank games out. Who wants to wait like a year or 18 months for their pinball machine when they can get a brand new amazing Stern pinball machine within a month of them revealing it? Not even a month. People got Iron Maiden Pros like two weeks. I know I use that word so much to make fun of certain companies, but two weeks later, people actually have Iron Maiden Pros in their homes two weeks after the reveal of the game. Can we for once just stop even considering anybody out there to be a competitor to Stern Pinball? All right, They, they actually give you the game you pay for when you pay for it. And you don't have to wait years for it, all right? And I think that's incredible. And I think it's fun. I think the mood, the mood in the hobby lately has been much more positive, much more jovial. And I've said this before. If the cantankerous, cancerous companies that have done nothing but flounder for years would just go away, it would be a lot more fun to be in the hobby because we would eliminate all of the people who are still suffering the slings and arrows of, of fools like Andrew Highway and Barry and Yop and John Papaduke and all these people, you know, Kevin Kulix, that all they did was suck the life out of the hobby for so many people, all right? So it's a good time. And I think, I think when Stern rises, all moods rise as well, all right? Now, I have to also say, I went to go see Ready Player One, little, little sidetrack here, incredible movie. I loved it. 
I loved it. I thought what Spielberg did with the movie, how he made sort of the scenes in the book where you collect the keys, he made them even more exciting and fun for the theater. Um, and I just, I couldn't help but love the movie. And I took Brenda to see it and she absolutely loved it too. She was completely giddy when we were watching Ready Player One. I, I, I literally, it gave me goosebumps. And I haven't seen a Spielberg movie do that in a very, very long time. And there, even, there even is a pinball machine. There is a Revenge from Mars at the end in the apartment of the film. All right, guys. So here's what I did. I said to myself, Chris, you know, there's not a lot of news. We're, we've seen Iron Maiden. We've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. We've seen all the different games coming out. And, you know, we need to give your listeners some more inside information. And I've been trying to get interviews with people. I've been trying to get John Borg on. Zombie Yeti's supposed to come on. You know, I'd love to have, like, Robert Mueller come on. But instead of waiting for people to actually accept my invites and come on the show, I decided to get in the demon and drive not only around America, but also get on some airplanes and make my way to the different pinball manufacturers out there. And I wanted to just not announce my presence, but just sort of put my ear to the door and listen to what is going on inside each of these major pinball manufacturers. And I'm really excited to share with you what I learned on this Canada's world tour of pinball manufacturers. Now, I wanted to start my journey at number one. I wanted to see what the mood was like over at Stern Pinball. So I went over to Chicago and I, and I basically... I put my ear to the door of the Stern factory, and this is what it sounded like inside Stern uh, the week after they revealed Iron Maiden. I heard that was George Gomez, and obviously he's really, really excited. The orders for Iron Maiden seem to be through the roof. They sold out of the LE in just three hours. So everything is going really, really great over at Stern Pinball. And I said to myself, you know what? Let's travel next to Dutch Pinball and see what the mood is like over at Dutch Pinball. And so I went all the way over to the Netherlands, and I put my ear to the door of the Dutch Pinball sort of office space because they don't even have a factory and I heard this conversation happening between Barry Yop and a couple other Dutch pinball employees. They're going to come at us with everything they got. Air and sea. They're going to bomb our ass back to the Stone Age. They don't know we missed on purpose. Great. We're not gutless. We're incompetent. Is that right? 
I don't think I like your tone, Captain. We planned for this contingency. Load the VX into the choppers, take four hostages, and evacuate. Consequences of our actions, I'll face alone. Excuse me, General, but what about the fucking money? There is no fucking money. Mission's over. Bullshit, it's over. You're talking to a general, soldier. Maintain discipline. I'm not a soldier, Major. The day we took hostages, we became mercenaries. And mercenaries get paid. I want my fucking money! This mission was based on the threat of force. We bluffed. They called it. The mission's over. Whoever said anything about bluffing, General? Ooh, yeah, it doesn't seem like things are going too well over there at Dutch Pinball. Um, lots of arguing going on, and, and you know, and no one really can figure out where the Lebowski money is. So I, I kind of tiptoed out of there. I was a little anxious, and I said, well, while I'm in Europe, maybe I should go over to Highway Pinball, and surely the mood over there uh, is better. And what I heard on my way over to Highway Pinball was that the employees over there Actually, since they were beaten down so much and abused for so many years by Andrew Highway, they almost have become uh, a bit delirious and have started acting really strange and giddy and almost like insane as they're manufacturing uh, alien pinball. And someone said it's like it's it's like a party. It's almost like watching a Broadway musical uh, inside the Highway Pinball Factory. And there's you know I, I sort of peeked through the window and I saw about. Uh, four people making the games very slowly, hand-turning screwdrivers, uh, but they were singing up a storm. And, and here's what it here's what it was like when I when I put my ear to the door of Highway Pinball. Two, three, four. Good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait. If you wanna make a birthday cake, good things come to those who wait. Gotta sit for a bit and let it bake. Good things come to those who wait. Wanna build a pyramid up to the sky? Goes a long way. Good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait. Well, it's good to see that the highway employees are in good spirits. You know, they've been through so much. And you know what? Maybe you'll get your highway pinball game probably by the like 45th anniversary of the movie itself. And so while I was in Europe, I said, you know, should I go back to the United States or should I head in the other direction? So I decided to take another airplane all the way over to China where a Mr. Mike from Homepin has his operation set up. And I was curious, like, what is the mood over at Homepin these days? And I actually stumbled upon uh, Mike in the middle of learning uh, that Barry and Yop were also going to build their games in China. And he was talking to Barry and Yop on speakerphone. And I have to say, you know, we t we typically say that Mike is like a hothead. He he blows a gasket really easily. And I was happy to hear when I put my ear to the door of Home Pin Pinball uh, that Mike was talking to Barry and Yop in a calm way about sharing the Asia market when it comes to pinball manufacture. And here's what I heard from from Mike. First, take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. I don't know what kind of pan-Pacific bullshit power play you're trying to pull here, but Asia Jack is my territory. So whatever you're thinking, you better think again.
again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to head down there. And I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. You're going to have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to keep me from fucking destroying you. I am talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I will massacre you. I will fuck you up! Well, they got Mike on a good day. And it's, 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 I'm glad to see Mike has calmed down and has finally, you know, stopped attacking everybody when it comes to making pinball machines. And, you know, it's also fun, too, that Mike, after saying he would never sell pinball machines or didn't care about the U.S. market, is now desperately trying to get Pinball Star and other distributors to sell Thunderbirds pinball because nobody's buying it anywhere. So I, I was done with China. There was nowhere else to visit in China. So I decided to head back over to the States and I, I took a little trip on my way back from China to Benton, Wisconsin and I landed at Spooky Pinball and I, you know, I, I, I was, I think all of us out there are always really curious how Spooky Pinball has been the only successful boutique manufacturer of pinball machines. They've sort of been able to weather the storm of financial calamity. They've been able to get machines produced. They've been able to set up a factory. They've been able to actually not go bankrupt. They've had a successful business. And I think for a lot of us out there, we're always really curious as to how Charlie does manage his finances and how does he make business decisions to keep Spooky Pinball profitable. And I was really lucky to arrive at Spooky Pinball in the middle of Spooky discussing different business decisions they would make in order to keep Spooky Pinball um, a financially viable company. And here's what I heard when I arrived at Spooky Pinball. Okay, first things first. Hospital bills. Larry Marinsky. Why the fuck are we paying his hospital bills? He doesn't even work here anymore. Well, he doesn't work here anymore because he had a horrible accident in our warehouse, all right? The guy burned off half his face. Exactly. I don't want my money uh, going to support monsters. He's not a monster. He's a great guy who worked for us for many, many years. Cut him off. Second, Envirotech Waste Management. What the fuck is this about? It's costing us a lot of money. Your dad made the choice to dispose of our chemical waste responsibly. In order to do that, you gotta spend a little more money. Yeah, fuck that. Guess what? The Bolivians are going to do it for a third of the price. I'm going to hire them. No, no, you can't go to them. Yeah, I will. No, you can't I think do I will. That. No, they're, I think going, they're going to endanger thousands of local residents. Oh, I give a fuck. Some local tribesman gets cancer. Cry me a fucking river. They're not tribesmen. It's a modern society. Do I look like I fucking Okay, care? all right, look. Your dad told me very clearly that he would rather die than save money and hurt people, okay? Well, guess what? Looks like we're right on schedule, doesn't it? <laughs> Stop it. I sound like I'm going to the toilet. So there you have it. I mean, it, it sounds like Charlie makes some pretty shrewd business decisions to keep Spooky Pinball profitable. Um, but who are we to cry foul? He's getting people their game. So whatever it takes, if you have to work with the you know Bolivians to, to you know manage your Spooky Pinball ways, so be it. All right. So next, I wanted to go over to Jersey Jack Pinball. And I got there a little bit later at night. And it had been pretty clear that they were probably a few happy hour drinks in. Uh, I saw some dialed ins getting ready to ship out. Uh, and I ran into uh, what looked like their sort of like rec room. And I saw Eric in there and Jack. And it seemed like Jack was telling his stories. And you know, Jack's a salesman. He's very animated. And he was telling a story to Eric. And, and here's what that sort of uh, storytelling experience was like after a few drinks it seemed like they were having over at Jersey Jack Pinball. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, Pete. Oh, oh, fuck is. Hey, I wish I was big just once. <laughs> we 
So the mood's pretty good over at Jersey Jack, and they have a lot of reasons to be happy. I mean, Dialed In got voted the best game of the year unanimously at the Twippies, and Pirates of the Caribbean has received a lot of early accolades and enthusiasm from the community. So I'm really happy to see uh, the mood over at Jersey Jack uh, being a good one. And so I, th I decided to, you know, see if I could go somewhere else to see how the mood is going over there. And my next stop was over to Multimorphic P3, and I wanted to check in on Jerry and see what the mood was like over at Multimorphic. Now, I know they haven't shipped that many games, and I know the platform hasn't sort of taken off the way they would have imagined by now. So I just wanted to see, you know, what the mood was like. And when I arrived, uh, it was actually Jerry and his business partner uh, discussing what their plans were uh, and what they would do next to get Multimorphic P3 uh, more successful in the pinball marketplace. And here's what I heard as they were discussing those plans. What can I bring for you on this glorious afternoon? Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them, straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes the fuck out. <laughs> Excellent strategy, sir. Well, we'll see if that strategy works uh, in getting more P3s into homes across America. And so while I was there, uh, I believe it's in, in Texas, I went to the next company that has been sort of... Uh, beating at the chest that they are going to take over the pinball world sometime in 2019. So I decided to stop by Deep Root. Uh, and I actually, you know, to my surprise, I was there on a day when John Papaduke was also there. And I, and I looked into Robert Mueller's office and I saw him talking to J-Pop. And here's what I heard when I heard Robert Mueller talking to John Papaduke. Because I know somewhere deep down in my heart. I still love you.
And that was Dennis Norman in the back of the office on a little piano playing that soft melody for you as as John was was expressing his his true emotions. Um, so look, we we who knows? Have they figured Magic Girl out? Have they unraveled the secret? It sounds like they've got some work to go based upon these emotional meetings they must be having over at Deep Root. So I had one more stop on my world journey for pinball manufacturers and American Pinball was my final stop in Chicago and I I got there and I'm at the door it's a sort of nondescript sort of building and what I heard was really interesting so they were discussing a lot of the feedback people have been giving American Pinball that that Joe Balser uh, designed a game with really, really tight shots. And Davo and Josh Kugler were sitting uh, Joe down and they were talking to him about the design decisions for game number two and also the feedback they've been getting about the tight shots in Houdini. And right when I got there, Joe was sort of losing his shit that they were accusing him of designing a game that was just too tight for the, for the mainstream market. So what they were doing was they were actually playing him video of people playing the game on YouTube and showing him all of the brick shots people were encountering as they were playing Houdini. And here was Joe's reaction to that. Oh shit, I can't watch this. Hey everybody, I can't watch this. Well, some of us are trying to. Who said that? Which one of y'all dead motherfuckers just said that shit? Was it you, String Bean? You skinny ass looking motherfucker? Turn around and say it again. Turn around and say it again. Now you fucked up. Now you fucked up. Now you fucked up. Now you fucked up. You tubalard looking motherfucker. What? 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 Hey! What? What? Well, it sounds like they're having a great conversation over there, and they'll totally get it figured out with Game 2. Just hopefully it's not Oktoberfest. So that concluded my world tour of the American pinball and global pinball manufacturers. Lots of different interesting moods going on, right? It's, it's, it's not consistent what you're going to find when you travel to each of these manufacturers, but I do recommend going, and maybe you'll find out something different, but I, I hope you enjoyed uh, Canada's world tour of pinball manufacturers. All right, what else is going on in the pinball world, people? So I got a few emails. Let me read those, and then the show is going to be complete. Let me go into my Gmail. Bum, 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 bum. Here we go, Canada Pinball. All right, I have an email from Michael Shalis. So he said, Dear Canada, so this Uh, So this week in the World of Pinball podcast, one can tune in to hear an eight-year-old boy from Cyprus on Canada's Pinball podcast or move down uh, the dial to the Australian podcast and hear an interview with pinball artist Christopher Franchi. Which one is more worthy of Twippy Award consideration? Don't worry, Chris. As long as you have Bubba, you still got my vote. As always, my best to Bubba. So I didn't even realize that a, a Christopher Franchi went on head-to-head pinball. That's cool. Um, I've interviewed Christopher Franchi multiple times. I usually tend to interview guests when they actually have something new and relevant to say. Um, why would I interview Christopher Franchi right now when I've already talked to him about Batman and talked to him about Guardians of the Galaxy? So not really sure what news he can add. So cool. We're all going to have similar guests on. There's not that many people to interview. That's that. 
So I also thought that Alex's feedback from Cyprus was actually more enjoyable and better a, a better content than just hearing the same pinball people say the same thing all the time. But enjoy that interview. I hope it went well. All right, I got an email from Mark Felt. He said, Chris, taking Keith Elwin's Archer and hiring Keith did not save Stern a lot of money. The game had to be laid out properly in CAD, required full production engineering, and there are a ton of salaried men at man hours involved in audio, programming, graphics, mechanical engineering, etc. Okay, I want to stop there, Mark. You have got to be kidding me, bro. You're saying that designing a game that's already designed doesn't save you any money? Let me explain to you why it saves money. Because even though they have to put it into CAD, they already have the design of the game, all right? Try designing something from scratch, a white piece of paper, a blank play field. That takes way more hours than designing something in CAD where you already have the design of the game laid out. He then wrote, you have totally flip-flopped on two issues. You have been saying for months, pinball is saturated. The market is slowing down. There are too many new games. Nice to see you proved wrong with Iron Maiden selling out and Charlie at full capacity. There is plenty of money in the collector space for great games that players want. Simple as that. All right, Mark, let me address that. The pinball market is is saturated. And what I've always said about the saturated pinball market, I never once said, I never once said, or near, nor did I indicate that Stern Pinball would ever suffer a, in a saturated pinball market. And as I've always said, Stern Pinball is the only one, them and Spooky are the only ones that thrive in a saturated pinball market because they can get you a game in a week or in a month and they can take your money today. So Iron Maiden selling out doesn't prove me wrong at all. In fact, it's, it, it simply reinforces what I've always been saying is that only the companies with pinball machines in boxes will survive. In a saturated market, what will happen is all the other companies out there that struggle to get manufacturing down, those companies are going to fail. Because as I've always said, we don't need eight, nine pinball companies giving options to consumers. All we need is a few great pinball games a year to satiate to satiate the collector and the pinball market. And I know it's really easy. I know it's really easy to point at Iron Maiden and say, hey, look at Iron Maiden's success. That isn't always the case. All right, for as many hits as Stern has, they've also had an equal number of flops. And imagine if Stern's lineup for one year was like WWE, then Mustang, then Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Then Aerosmith. Like they, they manage to have hits and misses but they always manage to get a high volume of games out the door. So I still think it's oversaturated. I still think we have way too many pinball companies here, and I think half of them are gonna fail by the end of the year. All right, that doesn't mean that people don't wanna buy pinball machines. We just don't need this many options. He then goes on to say, you have been repeating over and over, don't buy a pinball machine before playing it. Yet the 500 Iron Maiden games have sold out sight unseen and you offer no criticism. That is a poor decision to buy a game before you play it. All right, let me stop there. Mark, 
Here's the deal, bro. Here's the deal. People didn't sell out of Iron Maiden sight unseen of the LEs. They saw the pro, all right? All right, they saw the pro. The LE of Iron Maiden was not sold out when Stern just announced Iron Maiden. They showed the game. The game sold out in three hours of people seeing it. Now, people haven't played Iron Maiden, and I agree. I agree. I still think it is effing stupid to buy a game without ever playing it unless you are absolutely in love with that theme and you don't want to miss out. Now, the thing is this. As a marketer and Stern as a company that employs a marketing uh, effort, to be able to sell out sight unseen of a limited edition of a theme is a genius move. It shows that Stern is doing something really, really right with Iron Maiden LEs. And I'll tell you why it sold out sight unseen, because of all the great stuff Stern put into the machine. So people are looking at the pro, they're seeing the feature matrix of the LE, and they are saying, holy shit, how can I pass up on this game? But I do agree, and we're starting to see this more and more. When people actually jump on Iron Maiden, it might not be the game for them based upon the fact that they might not like the looping and looping and looping. They might want to have a game where the ramps are utilized more. They might hate the music and they can't stand listening it to it over and over again. Uh, but but look, but look, do I think people who went in on Iron Maiden LE without even seeing it are a little bit silly? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have more praise for Stern putting this much into a game and making it sell out so quickly than I have criticism for people that are excited. Because I'm not going to, here's why too, I'm not going to rain on these people's excitement. Is that why you come to this podcast? I'm not going to call them stupid. Here's why. Because we know the game is going to be kind of amazing. We have enough to go on to imply that. Now, if you bought like uh, American Pinball's game, Sight Unseen, or Jersey Jack, no, I don't know if you're going to feel the same way, all right? All right, he then says, the truth is that it is still a bad decision, but Stern forces the customers into this position. That's just the reality. Let me stop you there, Mark, because you're saying a lot of hyperbole and dramatic stuff. Stern forces the customers into this position. Let me stop you right there because I really want to say something to you. You're 100% wrong. Stern doesn't force anybody to do anything. When you say the word force, they don't have a gun to anyone's head and say, hey, you have to buy Iron Maiden or we're going to kill your family. There is nothing forcing anybody. Anyone who buys Iron Maiden LE without seeing it is making that decision on their own. All right. I will not criticize Stern for forcing anyone to buy Iron Maiden LE. And I'll tell you this, from reading about um, those who have an Iron Maiden LE, right? Those lucky few who got one of the two to 250 that are going to be in America because the rest are going overseas or to the band. Every single person who is in on an Iron Maiden LE sounds happy as fuck to be getting one. They don't sound like they were forced into doing anything and they're not going to regret it because the game's not going to play like a piece of shit the way Ghostbusters did, all right? He then writes... Stern is really smart to have the Jack Danger live streams to give the buyers at least some sense of what they bought. All right. Yeah, like 
because they actually have a working pinball machine that they can show people. Uh, Stern doesn't sell you a mythological item that is not going to come out for years. So they're not lucky to have Jack Danger. Jack Danger is lucky to have Stern, right? Jack Danger is lucky that there's a pinball manufacturer out there that produces enough new games on a frequent basis that he actually has content for his stream. Without Stern, Jack Danger is fucked. Without Jack Danger, Stern still sells all of their games and sells them out. Because before Jack Danger was doing his thing, guess who was dominating pinball and pinball sales? Stern Pinball. All right, he then goes on to write, JJP is now a distant third to Stern and spooky. Stern just sold out their offering to the collector community with Iron Maiden, which is JJP's only real customer. And Charlie has a surprise hit with TNA and solid orders with Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. So he says JJP is now a distant third. So look, man, there is no way you can put Spooky in head or in front of Jersey Jack pinball in terms of volume. Uh, the I would say this. I don't know if Jack's making a profit. I, I would say that Charlie's definitely more successful business-wise, but there are more, way more Jersey Jack games in terms of volume out there, and there are way more Chicago gaming um, games out there like Medieval Madness Remake and Attack from Mars Remake than Spooky. Spooky's not number two. They're, they're not. Um, they are a small boutique operation, and so I still think Jersey Jack and Chicago Gaming Company are sort of two and three, depending on when titles are shipping. All right, so don't ever fool yourself with that. Uh, and I look, if you want to say to me that uh, TNA is a hit and Alice Cooper is doing well, I agree with that. I agree with that. TNA is now the most successful spooky game of all time. Charlie signing up TNA was the best decision he's ever made. All right. Um, but look, I don't think Iron Maiden means that no one's going to buy Pirates of the Caribbean because the collector market now has the collector game they want. Uh, because here's why. The true collector out there, and, and I know many of you guys, and I speak to you guys on a daily basis. These men, collectors of pinball, of new in-box pinball, I want to break it down. And, and this is the, the God's honest truth. Most new in-box collectors are wealthy men where $8,000 doesn't mean shit to them. It doesn't. Like, don't be fooled by Roto Dave, the man with 150 pinball machines who says he, he's, he's out of buying LEs, he's only buying pros. Like, and then meanwhile, uh, you know, Dave is, is being interviewed by the local New Zealand media where he brags about having seven figures worth of pinball machines. I love how he tries to play the coin of like, I'm the humble collector who's only buying pros now. Meanwhile, he's got a million dollars worth of pinball machines. He's the LE buyer. And here's the thing too, is all these guys who buy LEs and collector's editions and Jersey Jack machines, these individual men, these individual men, they make enough on a monthly basis to pay for all their expenses and then they have enough money left over to go buy pinball machines so they can easily buy two, three, four, five a year if they really wanted to. It's probably more an issue of space than money with these individuals, all right? And also Pirates of the Caribbean and Iron Maiden are two completely different themes and I don't think um, one necessarily satiates 
um, or, or removes the enthusiasm from the other. I think they're both completely different games. I would argue if you look at Iron Maiden, it's a game with like, you know, that has loops and has four flippers and has this and has that. But where are the toys in the game? I don't see many toys on the game. I, I don't at all. I look at Jersey Jack's Pirates and the thing is jam-packed with toys. And, I, and again, there's just, there are different approaches to making pinball machines. They can still both be amazing machines, but they almost like complement each other. One's a wide body, one's a standard body. You know, they both, if you ask me the similarities of those two games, they both have way too many fucking inserts. Both those games, the amount of inserts on the play field is my biggest issue with both of those machines. Look at Iron Maiden's insert number. It's they're everywhere. Like the artwork is like buried underneath all these inserts. And the same thing is true of, of pirates. It's like, my God, people calm down with the inserts, allow the artwork to shine through more. Like look at Aerosmith pinball. Look at dirty Donnie's beautiful artwork is allowed to be the predominant thing you're looking at in the machine. When I look at the Iron Maiden play field, it's like all inserts just, I, I mean, Zombie Yeti must have had the hardest time to lay out that play field because it's like, it's like moving around a minefield of inserts. And I think Stern is starting to learn a lesson because I heard that moving forward, Stern is actually going to have the artist sit down with the designer more from day one to ensure that they don't just hand the designer, you know, the artist, um, a play field that's just like a clusterfuck of inserts. Like, let the art come through more, all right? All right, Mark goes on to say, most important... Charlie is scaled to be profitable with small volume. I agree with that. He says the fact is Iron Maiden is sold out and people are willing to wait for Alice Cooper. Uh, you don't know that yet, man. You don't know that people are willing to wait 18 months for Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. You know, it, it all sounds great and dandy right now. Like Charlie could get uh, 500 people on a list. But I'm telling you, 18 months is a long time to wait for a game. It's a long time. And talk about not really playing the game. Nobody's really played Alice Cooper either, man. Like, people haven't jumped on this machine. They don't know how great it is. People are buying both of these machines simply because of what the visual how and wow factor is of each machine. Who who amongst you has played Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle? That's put your money down on one. Probably just maybe 50 people out of 500, all right? So he writes, yet you can go buy a dialed in tomorrow and no one wants it and Pirates is tired. No one will care when it starts shipping. So Mark, you don't know that. You don't know that. All right, dialed in, nobody wants you like i don't know like i can't argue against you or with you on this because i don't know sales numbers of dialed in um, i think somebody wants it i'm sure it's selling to people pirates being tired i do agree that showing pirates really early was a big mistake and it does feel old it's like by the time it ships it's almost a year after jack revealed it big mistake and jack said he wouldn't do it and he did and it's it's a marketing a fumble on their part look look at iron maiden it still feels fresh and people are getting it when it's fresh and you're sort of on the hype train when people are most excited he says finally to the question of licensing, a license needs to have international appeal. I would bet 30% of Stern's production run is outside the US, so it is crucial that the license resonates with international customers. That's why Iron Maiden works so well. And you have to be able to put the game on location, so that severely limits the cartoon-type licenses. Well, look, I mean, 
most of the licenses, Mark, that we talked about when people gave their favorite themes, those were international blockbuster hits as well. Uh, we're not talking obscure U.S. licenses here. All right. All right. So I got an email from Clinton Shana. He said, I never emailed my 80s sellout list because I expected somebody else to mention my picks. But after two episodes and not hearing Spaceballs, I knew I had to. Well, Spaceballs would be a fun theme. There's no doubt about it. Um, would, would Spaceballs sell out sight unseen? I think it has a shot. I think it has a shot, but maybe not. All right. I got an email from James uh, Jarasa. Uh, he writes, on your podcast, you talked about a possible deposit. Here is what my experience was. This is Spooky Pinball for Alice Cooper Deposit. He writes, I was sent an email from Spooky on March 24th. I had previously gotten on their mailing list, but had never purchased a machine from them before. I called to reserve my machine and was sent an invoice for $1,000, which I paid with a credit card. I was under the impression that I had to pay it now in order to get the machine. They told me that it would take up to 18 months to produce all the machines. When I pushed them for a possible date, I was told not to expect my machine before next year. Here is a copy of the part of the email I was sent with regard to the deposit. And I'll read this for you guys now. Initial payment and liquidated damages. Buyer shall pay to Spooky Pinball upon execution of this contract an amount equal to $1,000 as a first payment toward the pinball machine. If the buyer fails to purchase the pinball machine as provided or breaches the contract in any other manner in lieu of actual damages for such failures, the buyer agrees that liquidated damages may be assessed and recovered by Spooky Pinball as against buyer in the event of failed completion of the purchase of the pinball machine and without Spooky Pinball being required to present evidence of the amount of character or actual damages by reason thereof. Wow, that is the longest legal speak sentence I think I've ever read. It is acknowledged and agreed that the failure by buyer, as identified in this contract, the buyer, to complete the purchase of the pinball machine from Spooky Pinball LLC, as provided in this contract, will cause Spooky Pinball to incur economic damages. Therefore, buyers shall be liable to Spooky Pinball for the payment of the liquidated damages in the amount of $1,000. US um, all right, so here's my thing with this whole thing. And I, and, and I get why Charlie did it. He did it in response to people bailing on Rob Zombie games. But here's the issue I have. Is you order an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle today on April 12th uh, of 2018, right? And you give $1,000. And then you ask them, hey, when am I going to get my game? And they're like, well, we don't know. Within 18 months. And so within that 18-month period, uh, you might need that money back. You might want to get another game. And Charlie probably hasn't ordered the parts for next year's games yet. And he, we know that he orders parts in batches of 50. So uh, that's my only issue is if someone's like at the end of the list and they want their money back, they can't get it. And in this contract, it says that that person asking for a refund is going to damage uh, Spooky Pinball somehow and cause them harm where they need the $1,000 to, know, to be held by the company. And I don't know what you guys think of that. Like, what do you think of that? Like, I get when people ordered all these customized Rob Zombies and they bailed the last minute, but I kind of feel like 
a lot of people, not a lot, but people are going to like, you know, they're going to run into getting on the list and you have no idea what other pinball machines are going to come out in 18 months. But I can guarantee you this, the hype and the excitement for Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle will be way gone, even like six months from now, let alone a year from now, and then 18 months from now. So you have to, re you and Charlie's doing it right though, because he's kind of saying, you better really know you want this game if you want it. So that's why I'm surprised that 500 people would buy it sight unseen without playing it and out knowing they want it because their money's locked and it will be gone if they try to bail. Um, they might want to go find another buyer. But, but that's the problem because here's the thing too. If Charlie doesn't have to make 500 Alice Coopers, he won't. Okay, let's say he only gets like 350 like orders in. This is just hypothetical. He then only has to order 350 parts um, for, for those machines, you know, for, I mean, for each machine, like 350 machine parts. Okay, but if he collects $1,000 non-refundable from these people, uh, he's got people in a quagmire because then, you know, let's say you, you want out and you're number 351. And he's like, well, you got to find another buyer. And let's say you can. And let's say no one else wants it because everyone who wanted an Alice Cooper has one. You know, then you lose your money or you got to take a game even though you don't want it. Then you got to pony up the rest of the money. So th this is not shame on Charlie. Th this whole thing is how they're doing their business. And if you really want an Alice Cooper, like those are the terms and conditions. So I don't think anyone has anything to complain about. And everyone can run their business the way they want to. And I think... Charlie is a small company and I think they, they are doing this so they don't run into the issue of a bunch of people just trying to buy the games to flip and then they bail out when they see games not flipping for extra money. And that's exactly what happened with Rob Zombie. And this measure is put in place to eliminate all those flipper bastards that are obviously going to move from spooky games and start flipping Iron Maiden LEs, which we already saw one go up for sale for $10,500 by Tiki. I think he's underpriced. I think Iron Maiden LE goes for eleven to twelve thousand dollars on the secondhand market. I guarantee it. All right, everyone. Uh, I also got an email from Alex's father. Alex loved that we called him out on the show last time and played his clip. He was jumping up and down. I'm gonna start sending Alex some questions to answer instead of interviewing him because he's just a kid. And we're going to get his response to what's going on in the pinball world moving forward. I think it's going to be great. Uh, everyone, have a great day. I'm glad you enjoyed our world tour, and we'll talk to you real soon.